0: Welcome to the I Love Wright County Show. In this show, we explore local businesses that make our community a wonderful place to live. Each month, we'll sit down with a local business owner, learn more about their business, what it means to be an entrepreneur here in Wright County, and why they love being here. I'm your host, Amanda Galindo, and I'm a realtor here in the area. I've lived here for over 35 years, and I love living in Wright County. Let's get to it. Hey, guys, it's Amanda Glendo here with the I Love Wright County show. I'm here with Luke Dahlheimer. This is take two. Took me a little while to get this thing up and rolling, but that's how technology goes sometimes. So thank you so much for your patience and thank you for uh, participating in this so we can share a little bit more about what Dahlheimer does, um, how you guys are involved in the community, what makes this community a special place. So um, let's just start off with. Uh, how you got started? I mean, have you always wanted to be in the beer distributing industry?
1: Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, Amanda. Yeah. I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate you having our company on. We have been in Monticello for quite a while. So, um, yeah, The uh, as far as me personally, yeah, I, I grew up in this beer business. So, uh, my grandfather bought a beer distributor in 1959 in St. Michael. Um, he and his father operated a farm just east of Monticello, between Monticello and Otsego. And uh, he saw a business opportunity in, in St. Michael's. So he bought it and basically lived, uh, bought the house in the garage and, and uh, lived in the house, raised his family and um, delivered beer out of the garage. Yeah. So that was 1959. Um, you know, they started in St. Michael. They moved in 1972 to Albertville okay. and then uh, quickly outgrew that and moved to Monticello in 1976. Um, so I grew up, uh, around the warehouse, uh, the trucks, I went along, uh, obviously working with my grandfather and my dad, they'd take me along everywhere we went. So I did grow up wanting to be in this business.
0: So what did it look like back in like the seventies? What did the beer distributing industry look like?
1: It was very different. There were, there were many, many more distributors. Um, a lot of times you only carried one or two brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandpa started out as a Glick distributor. Uh, Glick was a brewery located just North of the Grain Belt brewery, which is, if you know where the historic Greenbelt brewery is in northeast minneapolis Glick yeah. was just north of that on the river okay so he would drive down there daily pick up a, a load of beer and then basically deliver it on his way home uh, and there were hundreds of distributors like that around the state you know obviously not everybody within the proximity of the twin cities but small operations that carried one or two brands um, and operated uh, you know at one time i think wright county had uh, at least four or five different distributors Okay, and uh, we're the last distributor left in Wright County.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. So, is it is it just a really competitive industry where, um, like, you need to have relationships with like the main like beer makers, like Coors Light or? Mm -hmm.
1: So it is very competitive. Um, You know, we all have territories that we're responsible to service, and some people think that uh, takes competitiveness out of the business, but uh, when you compete against other brands for market share and floor space and Mm -hmm. who's going to be in the cooler and who's on sale, it's a very competitive business. You know, we do spend a lot of time building relationships. We try to watch trends and see who's out there and and build those relationships with different suppliers to try to bring in products. I mean, as an example, my grandpa started with uh, Glick in 1959. Um, he met some people and built a relationship and and got the Schlitz brand which was a big national brand at the time in 1961. You know from there Schlitz developed Omawaki. Omawaki was a big brand in Minnesota and he just kept growing and growing. Um, You know and over the years we were uh, fortunate to pick up brands like you know Corona and Sierra Nevada Sam Adams Mm -hmm. and everything that they bring to the table in the different categories. Um, You know I used to do inventory uh, when I first got out of high school, I'd be doing inventory and I know I wiped the dust out the same five cases of Corona for a long yeah. time, you know, and now it's our third biggest brand.
0: Yeah. Cause everybody drinks it when they go to Mexico or, <laughs> yep. I mean, mainly Mexico, right? right? Yeah. Right. But it's,
1: it's amazing. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> sun, fun and beach in a bottle and, and they were able to take that yeah. marketing platform and, and, uh, you know, expand it, uh, across the globe actually. So, uh, very interesting, uh, the amount of changes in the industry over the years, you know, my grandpa had, uh, one pickup and two smaller trucks that he did delivery out of, you yeah. know, and now we have well over a hundred pieces of equipment here, whether it's trucks and trailers,
0: yeah.
1: uh, that type of stuff, vans, uh, all those things that, uh, uh, that we operate. So it's changed. It's changed quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So how it was just like your grandpa and his brother in the beginning, right?
1: Actually, um, my, my grandpa started it, and then he had four kids, four boys. Okay. And those four boys uh, got into the business, and you know, at the end of it, it got down to my dad and, and his brother. Okay. Uh, I have a brother and two cousins, so the four of us Very kept nice. the business going okay. and uh, completed the purchase of, of the business, and uh, now the four of us own Dahlheimer Beverage. And we also, over the course of years, uh, purchased a distributor in Brainerd and also one in Virginia, Minnesota. Wow, so we have three locations um, and again it's you know uh, it's like uh, many different industries consolidation is a big thing, and uh, you know the efficiencies and the economies of of being bigger and having more resources and opportunities are really what uh, allow these businesses to thrive.
0: yeah so how many employees do you guys have here?
1: uh well. This is a good time of year for us. We're doing the June podca- podcast, so this is our typically our biggest month of the year as we build up for the Fourth of July. Um, by the time we get all the uh, the college kids that work summers for us and the kids that uh, just out of high school that are working for us, we have over 115 people at the Monticello location.
0: Holy cow!
1: Yeah, and then uh yeah, it's a big difference. I mean, there's pictures hanging around the warehouse here where there's 25 people total, yeah. and that wasn't that long ago.
0: So then, what is it in the fall, like when uh, the kids go back to school? Then? Yeah,
1: we get down to. We usually keep on hand between, uh, 85 to 95 people. Okay. So not
0: just an extra 20 plus people. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what do they do? Do they like stock in the back and, or.
1: Yep. So we've got a couple of, uh, college age kids that come in and help load trucks. So we're, this time of year, we're pretty much a 24 hour operation.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we have a crew, uh, we run three shifts, um, you know, and, and that, that third night shift comes in at uh, five o'clock every night and they start loading the trucks for the next day. Mm-hmm. So when the drivers come in in the morning, they basically put the, take the kegs out of the cold storage, mm-hmm. put them on their trucks and and away they go. Um, so we have a couple of kids do that, but most of our summer help, uh, in that age group is all helpers on a truck. Okay. So they're going store to store delivering, yeah. uh, you know, unloading beer off the truck and that type of thing, doing the rotation and building the displays, uh, it's a good experience for for kids when they come in, It's and it's hard work. A lot yeah. more wore out when the week's over. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. So <clears throat> tell me a little bit about um, just, you know, what you guys are involved in here in the community. You've been a pillar in Monticello and surrounding areas for a while now. Um, I know some of you guys have kids that go to the school and stuff, and you're pretty involved in the chamber and different things like that. So just maybe share a little bit about what you're involved in and why that's important to you as a company and a business owner.
1: Sure. You know, uh, you know, there, there's a lot entwined into that question. I'll, I'll uh, you know, start kind of with, uh, the location. They, um, my grandpa purchased a building, uh, and if people are familiar with the town of Monticello, it's at uh, County road 18 and Broadway. Um, you know, it was a, a building that was built in leased out to construction companies when they built the freeway oh okay so as uh as they built the freeway in the 70s uh the farmer that owned the the building leased it out to companies and when it was finished he had an empty building there and that's how Merle got to Merle's my grandfather that's how he got to Monticello okay um there's was three additions to that building uh over time and uh, uh after we outgrew that and and uh Monticello kept growing um that's where super target and the, the strip malls over there. Yeah. That's the location we were at. Okay. So, um, you know, when it comes to that kind of involvement, you know, 1976, uh, here's my math, right? 30, (laughs) 35, uh, you know, 40, almost coming up on 40 years. years. Yeah. 45. So, um, been in town for a long time. Um, You know, and the fortunate thing is, you know, I grew up on River Street in town Mm -hmm. um, and had a lot of interaction. I went to school in town here.
0: You graduated uh, from Monticello?
1: Graduated from Monticello. My wife graduated from Monticello. um, The same with my brother. Um, So, you know, and we grew up and Monticello was a pretty small town at the time. Yeah. You know, we moved here in the 70s and I'm pretty sure the census sign was less than 2,000. I remember it being about 1,500 and some um so you you really got to know a lot of people in town my dad was on the volunteer fire department so you knew a lot of guys from that and um a lot of involvement that way through the community obviously the lions club sells a lot of beer at their events in the summer (laughs) so so we get to know a lot of people on the lions club and and appreciate everything they do and and, you know how much uh they how much work we've done with them over the years um You know, and, and really proud of how this community has grown and, and, you know, a lot of the people that have moved in and really embraced Monticello as a hometown, Mm -hmm. um, it makes it pretty easy to be involved, um, you know, whether it's with the school and, uh, trying to help out when, when they need projects done or, um, you know, different things that we can donate to there, um, you know, with the hospital, we donate to hospital at center care, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, you know, center care has some foundation stuff that they do that we're able to be involved in,
0: Yeah. um,
1: You know, several things, as you mentioned, the chamber, uh, a lot of personal benefits, a lot of people we've just known for a really long time. Mm -hmm. You know, it extends into Wright County. You know, I've been doing business in the county for a long time and, uh, you know, always happy to be involved with the Wright County Fair and the Buffalo Rodeo and and many other town events that we get to be a part of. Yeah. You know, those friendly city days is coming up this week. I know. And that's I'm so gonna excited. to be a big deal. Yeah.
0: This is the first one that we're going to have. <laughs> well, actually it was Zimmerman. Zimmerman had their wildest yes, days, the but wild I've never list. gone to that. But yeah, I'm so happy that we're going to start having some of those events this summer and, and ease back into more of a normal routine with everything going yeah. on in this past year. Like all the crap that we've had to deal with. So. Yeah.
1: And it was, it has been a, a crazy year, um, you know, along with the grocery beer distributors kind of got lumped in as an essential business. And, uh, you know, so our our folks here worked all the way through the pandemic and dealt with those challenges and a lot of questions and things people didn't know were going to happen. So um, I really, you know, got to throw a shout out to uh, everybody here that that works here. Um, I mean, they personal responsibility to get things done. And they did it because we uh, had never experienced that kind of, uh, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit. My brother and I were trying to figure out how to plan for how are we going to be down 10% and make sure we keep everybody working and everything else. And it went the exact opposite. Once the lockdown hit, uh, off-premise liquor stores, really got busy. Mm-hmm. And, so you uh, didn't
0: have to, like, cut any, like, no, lay anybody no, off? No, we were able to keep everybody employed
1: yeah. um, and uh, repurposed because we do have people that are just dedicated to bars and restaurants. Oh, sure. Yep. You know, but uh, we were able to repurpose a lot of people and and uh, keep everybody going throughout the pandemic
0: so that's awesome yeah yeah so how um how does it work like when you guys so you are you the only distributor distributor? oh my god distributor <laughs> for like all of the liquor stores in Wright county or how does that work
1: Okay, so it, it depends on when we work with these suppliers, they grant you exclusive territories. Okay. And, and that's the territory you're responsible for. So as a distributor, in order to um, make sure that all customers, you know, get a level of service that's satisfactory to the supplier, they give you an exclusive territory. And whether that that store, you know, what's a small store or uh, whatever it may be, um, only buys five cases a week or they buy 500 a week, you have to service all the stores sure. That's part of the agreement. Uh, along with rotation and making sure beer doesn't go out of code. Um, But so for the the brands, we'll be the only distributor if we just use a brand like Coors Light. We're the only distributor that brings Coors Light to a store within our territory. Okay, But then there could also be a distributor who brings, you know, the Anheuser-Busch products. And there's a distributor who brings, you know, other different brands. So that's where our competition comes in is other distributors. Okay. So we don't service, we're not a one-stop for every retail account. Okay. They buy certain products from us and then other distributors come in with other products.
0: Okay. But like, are you the main Coors guys? Yes. Yeah.
1: So for our territory, we'd be the only Coors guys within okay. that footprint.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then how does it work with like the local bars and restaurants? Do do you guys have sales guys that go in there and try to um, sell the service?
1: Yep. Okay. Every Every account has a dedicated sales rep. Okay. And, uh, you know, they go in on that account call and, you know, it's a, it's a typical um, business that's fighting for market share. Yeah. You know, we're always trying to get the extra tap line or we're trying to get an extra bottle placement, just like everybody else is. And to
0: sell more beer. To sell more yeah. beer. Yeah. And,
1: um, you know, our system, this three-tier system, if I can just explain a little bit of that, I'd yeah. appreciate it. Um, so everybody knows that uh, the United States tried prohibition. Yeah, for you know, the horrible years that it was. Yeah, <laughs> they. Uh, but when they came out of that, they thought there's got to be a better way because part of what brought on prohibition is uh, a lot of bars were owned by the actual brewery.
0: Okay.
1: And that, and they weren't in the communities that they were that where the bars were located. So they didn't care how much beer they pushed in to the community. They didn't care if there was alcohol abuse going on. They sold it extremely cheap in order to dominate market share. Mm-hmm. And when they came out of, uh, you know, this is a simple explanation, but when they came out of prohibition, they wanted to set something up that was a buffer in between the supplier and the seller. Mm -hmm. And um, they came up with a three-tier system that inserted distributors who uh, have relationships with the supplier, but also have a kind of a buffer in between the supplier and the retailer, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, so that everybody gets the same amount of service, everybody gets the same opportunity to buy at the same price and and those types of things they put in to, you know, and their idea was to try to, you know, what's called the temperance movement. Their idea was to try to temper the amount of alcohol that went through the system, um, you know, and then to make sure that it was in a legal and orderly fashion. Now, you know, we're a highly regulated industry at both the federal and the state level, Um, you know, so our records are always available for anybody who has, has the badge and comes in and and wants to talk to us. So they can track for tax collection. They can track for, uh, illegal activity, all kinds of stuff like that. So that's kind of how the three tier system got into place. And that's, you know, a lot of people don't understand what distributors do. And and that's, uh, you know, pretty much our function.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, um, one of the questions is, um, you know, I, I, you guys have a really good, uh, group of employees that have worked here. And a lot of them have worked here for many, many years. Um, But, you know, most of the public signs the back of their paycheck, not the front. Um, You know, being an entrepreneur and a business owner, you take all the risk. Is there anything you wish people knew what it's really like to own a business?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, You know, I I think the biggest thing that maybe most people wouldn't understand is how much responsibility you feel. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I'll just point back to the pandemic. I, there was sleepless nights on what's going to happen and what are we going to do? And, you know, the first thing my brother and I said is we got to keep everybody employed. Yeah. And um, I think those are probably the biggest issues is, you know, um, and and it's not something you're going to wear on your sleeve, but making sure that uh, everybody's taken care of and really uh, being involved in this, you know, started out sweeping floors and fixing breakage,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: mm-hmm. in the back room. Honestly, the first job was cutting grass and trapping gophers. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, you really get tied in. And, and then, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of employees that were, that are here still that were at my graduation party. Mm-hmm. And they were at Joanna and I's wedding. Yeah. You know, and, and heck, they have come to our kids' graduation parties. Yeah. So... Um, uh, it really is, you, that's the biggest responsibility I feel is is making sure that uh, we're doing the best to take care of as many people as we can.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> kind of the final question, unless there's anything else you'd want to share. I thought that prohibition thing was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the business and your legacy here in the area, what are you most proud of?
1: You know, um, being a third generation uh, owner is, it's a, it's kind of a different feel. You know, I, I do feel that entrepreneurial spirit because of the fact of, you know, in the amount of years that Nick and I have been, have been working here full time, the, uh, the amount of growth we've been able to achieve yeah, uh, and different consolidations, you know, obviously uh, had great teachers,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. you
1: know, coming up and, and uh, have had opportunities to meet a lot of really good people. Um, you know, I think uh, if, if, I look at this as a third generation owner as um we're kind of the steward of the business mm-hmm. not not as much the owner of the business. I mean my grandpa worked hard he could have had the opportunity to sell the business and cash out. Yeah. You know and and same with my father and my uncle uh and instead of doing that they they always gave us the opportunity to try to improve and get better. Yeah. So I feel like uh you know we're operating it more as a steward of the mm-hmm. business than as a as a true um owner yeah you know what i mean uh and you know you just it's like anything you want to leave it better than you than you had it yeah and and when we have those opportunities to be involved in the community it it really means a lot Mm -hmm. um but uh i I would like that for our to be our legacy is more of the uh the ability to grow and adapt and stay within the community um you know and, and uh as we've, as we've changed, so as the community mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, anybody, everybody who's probably listening is familiar with the amazing growth, yeah. uh, in the whole surrounding area. And, uh, you know, we've just been fortunate to be a part of that.
0: Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about the business and, um, just kind of all the awesome things that you guys do for yeah. the community. You know, you're, you guys are a pillar here and, I know like I've had to deal with some some employees, Rob, you know, he's always helping me with stuff for the Lions music on the Mississippi. You know, we've ran out a couple of times and, you know, everybody is so customer service oriented and it's like, yep, let's go get some more, Mm -hmm. you know, like no problem. And then I've seen you around and, you know, I've had there's been waitresses or bartenders that are asking questions and, you know, like I've seen you help. Help them with mm-hmm. a keg or yeah. you know a tap or something, you know. So that's what I love about Monticello. You know, when you're talking about it being so you know a lot smaller when you were growing mm-hmm. up, and we've grown. I think we have around 15,000 people now in the community. A lot of them are transplants, but it still has that small town feel. You know, like yeah. there's still it's we have all the amenities we need but you still can have those close relationships and be a part of something a little bit bigger and give back, and yeah. that's what I love, so.
1: I couldn't agree with yeah. you anymore.
0: Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Luke.
1: Yeah, all right, thanks for having me, Amanda.